0: Okay, we're going to look at an idea that's connected to Tisha B'Av and the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, uh, focusing on a peculiar detail that happened in the destruction of the second Beis HaMikdash. We're going to look at, it at a couple of Gomorrahs, and then some some sources explaining those Gomorrahs. Particularly, the first source, from a Gomorrah in Yuma, that's, that's talking about the the Khurban Bayis Cheni, the destruction of the second base of Mikdash. Omar Reish Lakish. Reish Lakish said, la-heichal, when the Gentiles entered into the sanctuary to destroy it, this is the Romans destroying the second base of Mikdash, Ro kruvim they saw the Kruvim, the cherubs that were embracing each other. What are the Kruvim? The cherubs, what are they? On top of the aron, there was this figure, these angelic figures, a boy and a girl, made out of the gold that was a part of the. One second. So, so the the kruvim were in an embrace, in a, an embrace position. Now, the aron w- was not in the second base of mikdash. The Oran was taken in the first base of mikdash and hidden away. And so in the second place, there was no Oren. So what Kruvim are we talking about here? So Mephoshim say that, apart from the Kruvim that were on top of the Oren, there were also figures of Kruvim that were on the walls of the Kurdish HaKadoshim, uh, painted or knitted in or embroidered Kruvim. And so these Kruvim were in an embrace position. <coughs> when the Romans saw this, they took them out to the street, to the Shuk, to the marketplace, and they said Yestral mm-hmm. halalu. These Jews shabirchas and bracha, that their blessing is a blessing, the kilulos and klala, and their curse is a curse. Yaskavetvarim halalu, are preoccupied with such things. Meaning, the Romans, when they saw this male-female embrace in the Kodesh Kodashim, took it out and said, Look, look what the Jews are into. What did they understand? How, how, did, how did they interpret this Kruvim embrace? Well, they're Romans, idolaters. They wanted to check, so what's in the Holy of Holies? What do the Jews worship? And they see a figure of a man and a woman embracing. So they say that they worship male-female relationships. This is, this, is, this is what they're, they're into. They were shocked. They couldn't believe it, so they took it out to the and They said, look, these Jews, their blessing is a blessing, their curse is a curse. Meaning what, what, what they say it has impact, and look what they're into, look what they worship. They worship a man and a woman embracing. And so the Romans debased the Jewish people based on this. As it says in Eicha, Yirmiyahu prophesied Kol those who honored her have disgraced her, ki ro ervasa, because they saw her nakedness. So this passage was fulfilled, those who honored her, who, who, the Romans who said their blessing is a blessing, their curse is a curse, these are the Jewish people, but they also debased them, because they saw her nakedness, the nakedness here meaning the, the seemingly very sensual imagery of the kruvim, a male and female, uh, hugging each other, this is, this is what they worship, this is what they're into. And so it was a big disgrace for the Jewish people. That's how the Romans understood this embrace of the Kruvim. So that Gemara is interesting. But what makes it more interesting is if we compare it to the next Gemara. Number two, Gemara and The Gemara and Baba and says, How did the Kruvim stand? This is a discussion of the Kruvim. How did, how did they stand? What was their position? There's two opinions about how the kruvim stood. The two opinions are Rabbi Yoichron and Rabbi Lazar. One of them says that the kruvim faced each other. Another opinion is that they faced the walls of the house of the Beis Hamikdash, back to back to each other. Two opinions. So the Gemara then questions, hang on a minute, according to the opinion that they were facing each other, doesn't the verse say that they faced the house, the walls of the, of the, of the temple? How can you say they faced each other if they were facing the walls? It's not a problem. Answers the Gemara. When the Jewish people are doing Hashem's will, he's happy with them, the Kruvim would face each other. When the Jewish people are not doing Hashem's will, miraculously the Kruvim would turn around to face back to back, to face the walls. In other words, the, the, the Kruvim, even though they were inanimate objects, whether we're talking about the Kruvim on the aron or the Kruvim on the wall, but they're inanimate objects, yet they move. If Hashem is happy with the Jewish people, so then the Kruvim embrace each other. If the Jewish people are not doing the right thing, Hashem is not happy, so then the Kruvim turn away from each other. So, according to that, the first Gemara is a bit surprising. That when the Romans entered the Besamikdash to destroy it, as a result of the sins of the Jewish people, time of Khurban, they find the Kruvim embracing each other. Their reaction was, okay, so this is what the Jewish people worship. But our question should be, when do the Kruvim embrace each other? When Hashem is happy with the Jewish people. When we're doing the right thing. The, 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 these Kruvim are like a litmus test uh, to measure the, the state of the relationship between Hashem and the Jewish people. So, when they embrace it, it means Hashem happy with us, we're doing the right thing, all's good. When, they, when we're not doing the right thing, they turn away from each other, like Hashem and the Jewish people are in a state of Bregus, unhappy with each other. And so when the Romans are coming into the Beis HaMikdosh to destroy it as a result of the sins of the Jewish people, the Kruvim are embracing. That's not what we'd expect. That's not how it should be. At that time, they shouldn't be embracing each other. It should be back-to-back, surely. There's no greater time of Hester of concealment of Hashem's face than the destruction of the Beis HaMikdosh. And there's no greater indication that Hashem is not happy with us than the fact that the Romans are able to come in and destroy it. So if these kruvim are supposed to be this miraculous indication of where we're standing with Hashem, if things are good or not, so then we would expect them to be back-to-back absolutely at this time, and yet the Romans found them in an embrace. How could that be? So we're going to look at four different interpretations, or explanations of this, this question. We're going to look at one from the Marsha, commentary on the Guevara. We're going to look at one from the Shemish Mool, one of the Chassidish uh, interpretations. B'nai Yisachar, another Chassidish one, and then from the Rebbe. And we'll see how they're all different, some slightly different, some completely different. And, and each one is a, is a new layer in understanding this, uh, this question. How could the kruvim be embracing each other, a sign of divine <coughs> happiness and love, at the time of the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash? First, I took at the Marsha. The Marsha, of Shmuel Eliezer Edels, was a Talmudist. He was also a Kabbalist, but he was before the Bais before Chasidus. And he offers the, the following interpretation: Urim The kruvim that were hugging each other as we learnt in the Gemara, the first Gemara, in Yuma, So then the second Gemara we saw, Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Laza have a disagreement. One opinion is that they faced each other, one is that they faced the walls. So we asked, well, how can you say they faced each other? There's a verse that says that they faced the walls. So we answered that it depends whether the Jewish people are doing what Hashem wants, then they face each other. When, when they're not doing what Hashem wants, they face away from each other. So on this the, the, says the So our Gemara, the first Gemara that talks about the Romans entering the Mesa Mikdash and finding the Kruvim embracing each other must be according to that opinion that says that they sometimes faced each other, they sometimes were back-to-back to each other. Obviously, it can't be according to the opinion that they were back-to-back to each other all the time. It must be according to the opinion that they sometimes did face each other, sometimes embraced each other. And there's no difference between the Kruvim that Moshe made or the Kruvim that Shlomo Melech made, the, the, the Kruvim on the aron or the Kruvim on the walls of the, of the Kedush Gerasim, it, as it says that when the regalim, when the pilgrims came for the Pesach Shu'l sukkas to come to, to Yushalayim, so the Kohanim would display to the pilgrims the Kruvim to show that Hashem loves them. That the, means Moshe's Kruvim, the ones that were on the Arim. So, so now, the, 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 the Masha asked the following. The fact that we said, at a time when the Jewish people were not doing Hashem's will, the time of the destruction, and the Nachrim, the, when the Romans came, they found the Kruvim embracing each other. How are we going to explain that? If they only embrace when Hashem is happy with us, how could they be embracing in the time of the destruction? So answers the Marshak, Kfar Baze HaRitva HaRam, the Ritva has already answered, the Ritva, one of the Roshonim, the earlier commentaries, says in the name of the Ram, Degam this was also miraculous. There was a miracle that happened at the time of the destruction of the of HaMikdash, these Kruvim embraced each other. It was a miracle, but it was a miracle Lera, for bad. Legalus Ervasam, to reveal the nakedness of the Jewish people. In other words, for, for the Kruvim to embrace is a miracle. That's not a, it's not a natural event, it's a supernatural event. Usually, the reason why the Kruvim would embrace was to show the love that Hashem has for the Jewish people. But there was one exception. The, the Kruvim, when they embraced at the time of the destruction, was not to show the love that Hashem had for the Jewish people because they're doing the right thing, because they weren't. It's a miracle that Hashem did for bad. To punish the Jewish people, to expose their nakedness, their lowliness... Which is what happened. The Romans came, saw the embrace, and couldn't believe it and took it out to the shuk to make fun of the Jewish people. This was a part of the affliction of the destruction of the temple. So, in this case, says the Marasha, the embrace of the Kruvim was a miracle from Hashem, but it was a miracle from Hashem to disgrace the Jewish people, not to express His love for them. That's how the Marasha explains it. We're going to see that Hasidus understands it differently. The question is, can we reconcile what Hasidus says with what, what the Marsha says? That, that we'll have to see. Because the Marsha is, Teres is giving an explanation that, that this was a disgrace for the Jewish people. That's why Hashem made this miracle. So, so let's, see, let's see if we can work it out. Let's look at, it, at, at the next explanation of this quandary from the Shemishmul, Shemishmul of Sachachov, who was the son of the Avnei Nezer, who was the son-in-law of the Kotzka Rebbe, one of the greats of Polish Hasidus. In his great work, Shmul, Shemishmul, on the Parashas of the Week, this is in Parashas Devarim, he, he brings the following Gemara. Beshas Megillah, Hey Amad In the Gemara Megillah, Hey Amad Beis, 5b, Amar Rebbe Rebbe said a few stories about Rebbe, Rebbe Yehuda Nasi, doing controversial things. One thing he did was he planted a plant on Purim. Generally speaking, you're not supposed to work on Purim, and he planted a plant on Purim, saying that it was okay. And And another thing he did was he tried to uproot Tisha B'Av. He tried to cancel with B'Av. But the other sages did not agree with him to let him cancel Tishabov. Interesting. Cancel Tishabov. And... Sounds good, but the, the, it didn't work. So Gemara continues. <laughs> a of Rabbi Abba bar Zavda. So Rabbi Abba Bar Zavda, when he heard Rabbi Chanina tell this story of Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, said to him, Rabbi, said, No, you got the story wrong. It was Tishabav that fell on Shabbos. And the sages said, Well, if, if Tishabav falls on Shabbos, we delay Tishabav, we push it off to the next day, to, to Sunday. And came along Rebbe Yehuda Nasi and said, Since we've pushed it off, let's push it off entirely. If Tisha B'Av falls on Shabbos, you can't fast. So you're going to push it off to Sunday? Push it off completely. Don't, don't fast at all. There should be no Tisha B'Av. It wasn't that Rebbe was trying to uproot Tisha B'Av. I mean, Tisha B'Av is a, a din. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's in, in, in Tanakh. You can't, you can't cancel it. He was saying there was a particular year where Tisha B'Av fell on Shabbos. And the sages said, so we'll push it off to Sunday. And Rebbe said, push it off entirely. There should be no Tisha B'Av. But the sages didn't agree with him. He was outnumbered. And so Tisha B'av had to be observed on the Sunday. That's the Gemara. So, to explain this, Nira Lafarsha Plukta, to explain this disagreement, Rebbe's thought to actually cancel Tisha B'av when it fell on Shabbos, I'll explain it based on something I heard from my father, Davnei Nezer, says the Sokot says the, about the fast days in general. Based on something that was heard from the Rebbe of Lublin, the Chose of Lublin, the Pasuk, on the Pasuk in Nachum that says, that in Nachum. The Prophet Nachum says, a pasuk, that a tragedy will not be repeated twice. That a tragedy will not happen twice. That's the pasuk. The Chose of Lublin explain what's the meaning of this pasuk? That a tragedy won't happen twice. What, what does that mean? Anytime a miracle happened for the Jewish people, the miracle left an imprint on the time that it happened. The day that it happened was influenced, was changed, was, was, became a day of miracle energy. And so every year when that day comes back, the miracle energy is reawakened on that day. So a miracle that happened once affects the day that it happened to make that day a miracle day every year for the rest of history. Like Pesach and other festivals... What's the idea of Pesach? It's not just we're commemorating once upon a time we left Mitzrayim. If we left Mitzrayim on the 15th of Nisan, the 15th of Nisan has become a day of miracle, of divine revelation, forever. And every year on that day, there is a a reawakening of that energy all over again. That's true with Purim and all the other Yom Tovim. A miracle happened once, and that day became a miracle day forever. It's affected forever. It's it's taken a shape a personality. The day as a personality of mirac- miracles. That's true of miracles. However, continues the Rebbe of Lublin, <laughs> but tzaris, tragedies that have happened to the Jewish people in the past, God forbid, it should happen to us. These tragedies do not leave a mark, an imprint, on the day. Only miracles. When a positive thing happens, when there's a revelation of Hashem, that leaves an imprint on the day. When a tragedy happens, it doesn't leave the day cursed or, or with a negative energy forever. That doesn't happen. V'zer lo'i so'kem that's the meaning of the Pasuk in Nochum, that a tragedy will not be repeated again. Tragedies don't happen again, meaning when a tragedy happens, it doesn't happen again every year. It doesn't have the same energy every year. Unlike a miracle, that when a miracle happens once, every year that day the, the miracle energy is repeated. Okay, so Tishabab we say is a day that is masugul, that it has a certain uh, negative energy about it, correct? But that's something before the tragedies happen. It's not that the tragedies happen and made it into a into a day. But always happens that day, like in says but's but 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 you know, say happened our, but that day. But you, said that, that. you said you can for nothing, but you always say that the tragedy doesn't S- leave a mark. Right, so it's not, it's not the tragedy of the mark. It's the, the, that, day, that day was given a curse. Here it's saying that when a miracle happens once, so then it's every, every year that's going to happen. It's not that Tisha B'Av every year, Chas v'sholem, there's a Chorban. That's not repeated every year. When there is a negative thing that has to happen, Hashem moves it to Tisha B'Av. But, but what we're saying with, with, with Pesach, every year, maybe you didn't see it it's from Israel, but the energy of, of the miracle is there on that day. And, uh, and, we, and we relive it. So it's not just the commemoration of a miracle, it's experiencing the miracle again. But Whereas Tisha is not that. You we know, so careful in nine days not to do because it's a negative energy. Correct, correct. It's a bad muzzle. But it's not necessarily that it's happening every year. We're careful, we hope it doesn't happen, but it, does, but it might not. Whereas a miracle, every year the energy comes down. So Ad this is that's from the Choyz of Lublin, the idea that a miracle re- repeats itself every year, a tragedy does not. But the Avnei Nezer continues, So then why do we fast every year on the days of tragedies? All the, all the fast days we have, including Tisha Bavak, because of a tragedy that happened. Why are we fasting if there's no repetition of it, if there's no imprint on the day why are we commemorating it? Pesach, Purim, we have every year because the miracle happens again every year. The energy is there every year. But if the tragedies are not there every year, why do we have a fast every year on the day that these tragedies happen? So the answer is this. Dine That on those days of tragedy in, the, in Jewish history, why do those tragedies happen? The tragedies happened as a comeuppance, as a payment for our sins that the generation was doing wrong, was sinning. Therefore, they, they received the divine wrath and anger through the tragedy that happened. And that was paying for the sin. That was cleansing the sin. The pain that they went through was a cleansing, a kapara, an atonement for their sin. To the point where after experiencing that, they became reconciled with Hashem. Hashem could make up with us after that. The reason those, those painful experiences happened was to cleanse a negative energy that was caused through sin. After you receive the punishment, so then the, the sin is cleansed and Hashem can be happy with you again. You can reconnect with Hashem. The sin was a blockage in our relationship with Hashem. The punishment cleansed that blockage. So now the relationship resumes. We're, we're back in the good books. We're back in, in, in an intimate relationship with Hashem. That's what the punishments were for. To cleanse the sin and to restate the relationship with Hashem. Top of the next column. This will make sense of the Gemara that we saw earlier. The Gemara in Yuma says, When the Romans entered into the sanctuary, they found the Kruvim embracing each other. Hang on. But we know from the other Gemara, that when Hashem is not happy with us, the kruvim are back to back. So why were they embracing at the time of the destruction? They were embracing at that time because at that time, Hashem was embracing us again. We We were getting back in our relationship with Hashem. Because the punishment, the destruction, was cleansing the sin that led to the destruction. When the destruction... Clean, cleans the sin away so then our relationship is reinstated so Hashem is hugging us again the love is coming back so why is Hashem hugging us why is the kruvim hugging because the, the destruction is taking away what was blocking our relationship as a result of the sin now we're having a hug again we're, we're, back, we're back on that is what remains from a time of tragedy, the reinstating of the relationship, the reconciliation between us and Hashem, that makes an imprint on the day and remains every year. That is what we re-experience every year, the reconciliation. Not the tragedy part, bit, but the, the resolution bit, the bit of us coming back together with Hashem, the hug that we receive as a result of the cleansing of our sins, that came from the tragedy. But we know that for everything that comes from heaven, from every light and energy and blessing that comes from above, we need down here to create some action, to do something, to be a keili, a vessel to receive that, that blessing, that light. So if every year on the fast day, the reconciliation, the love, the closeness with us and Hashem comes down again, we need something to capture that. We need a vessel, an action that will be the instrument to capture it, to to hold it. Just like the soul, which comes from above, cannot rest in this world unless there's a guf, a body to contain it. That holds it. So, too, every light, every blessing that comes down needs a container, an action to hold it. That's why our sages enacted the fast days. In order that they should be vessels to contain, to capture the reconciliation that is coming down on that day, the love that is coming down on that day. Why fasting? To be a similar thing, a bit of a, somewhat of an imitation of what happened back then. Back then, the pain that the Jewish people went through was the vessel through which the love came back down. The pain was cleansing the negative energy from the sin, which allowed the love to come back, the reconciliation, the closeness with Hashem. So to today, we fast, which is a minor version of pain. It's a bit of a pain. And so, that is the the negativity, the tragedy, as it were, that we have now to cleanse sin and to allow the reconciliation, the love to come back. So, and that, that's, that's the end of the, the Avnei Nezer's teaching. So, the, to, in relation to our discussion, what we got from here, is an answer to our question. The question was, how could the Kriven be embracing each other? So he explains why. Because there's two sides of, of, of a tragedy. There's the tragedy that's happening, which is a disconnect from Hashem as a result of sin. But the result of that tragedy is a reconnect with Hashem. Because the sin is cleansed. Once the sin is cleansed, so we, so we can resume our relationship with Hashem. So at the time of the destruction of the Mikdash, that was cleaning out the negative for, in order for us to be able to reconnect and that was the hug, the embrace that the Kruvim were making to symbolize Hashem inviting us back into His arms as a result of the destruction. He then explains to them, why did Rebbe want to cancel Tisha B'av when it was, fell on Shabbos? Because you only need a keli to receive a, to receive a blessing on, during the week. Shabbos you don't need kelim, you don't need any vessel. The light comes down without any vessel on Shabbos. And so therefore when Tisha B'av falls on Shabbos, the Light comes down, the reconciliation comes down, and we don't need the vessel of fasting to capture it. You don't need a vessel on Shabbos. So, when Tisha falls on Shabbos, you've had what Tisha is there for, which is to reconnect us with Hashem, without having to fast. So, what do you need Sunday for? What do you need to fast on Sunday? What, what for? It's done already. we said that the was for the light that came down from the pain, not from the reconciliation. No, the light is from the from reconciliation. The pain, is the, the pain was the Kaili Oh, the came back then, back then. So that's the and, day. and our fasting today is a miniature of that. Yeah. Yeah. In order to bring down the, 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 the reconciliation, the love, the the embrace, but you only need a keli during the week. On Shabbos, you don't need kelim. Shabbos is above kelim. He says that's why you, um, the, the, you can't build the beth on Shabbos because the beth was a keli for divine light. On Shabbos, you don't need a keli, so you don't you don't need to build the beth on, on on Shabbos. And that's why on Shabbos there's no laws that you don't need to build something, make something to make Shabbos happen. You just have to not do things. Just let Shabbos happen. It's not as, you don't need to construct Shabbos. It just it just comes down. I'm not talking about the meals. I'm talking I'm talking about the, the light. So so the, um, you don't need a keli on Shabbos. Therefore, when B'Av falls on Shabbos, you don't need to to fast. Why? because you don't need a keli to bring down the light of reconciliation. So therefore, Rebbe said, so then we've had tish so you don't need to fast on Sunday. The Chayim didn't agree with him, and unfortunately, we still fast. So, how does that answer jive with the Marsha? The Marsha said that why, was, why were the Kruvim embracing? Because Hashem was sending us a part of the punishment, and that is that we should be disgraced in the eyes of the Romans. So miraculously, the Kruvim embrace, so the Romans should see it and disgrace us and um, add insult to injury. The the, the says that the embrace was the reconciliation that happens after getting rid of the negative energy. It was love. Totally opposite to, to the Marsha. So let's see another one. Um, number five is Bnei Yusascha. The Bnei Saskar was a tzvi of Malach of Dinov, who wrote the wondrous sefer uh, called Bnei Saskar, Goes through all of the months of the year and the various yom tovim and events in the year, explaining them on many different levels. And listen to this one, says the Bnei Saskar, "Shemaiti b'shem Rava Kadosh, Maraynu Rava I heard in the name of the holy Reb Pinchas Karitz, one of the early rebbeim of Chasidus, Alhad de'Amor Razal, Based on the medrash that says, but no Ben David, that on Tishabav, Ben David, Mashiach, is born. Mashiach was born on Tishabav. What does that mean, Mashiach is born on Tishabav? If you look at the medrash there, it's not saying a prediction that, <coughs> that Mashiach will be born on Tishabav. It's saying that on the first Tishabav, when the Beis Mekdash was destroyed, Mashiach was born. Which obviously means that not that he was born physically in this world, that the soul of Tishabav was conceived, the soul of Mashiach was conceived on Tishabav. Not that, he, that Mashiach was born and, and is now 2,000 years old, that, that the, the Neshama of Mashiach was conceived on the first Tishabav when the Beis Mikdash was being destroyed. So the Prince Chazkaretz explained why. Why would the Neshama of Mashiach be born on Tishabav? Because the soul of Mashiach ben David is the, the soul that is the highest and most inclusive soul there is. Highest meaning on the highest level there is, and inclusive meaning connects to every single soul in the world. The most broad soul that there can be, the biggest, highest, holiest soul, is the, the soul of Mashiach. Therefore, for, to give birth to such an neshama, you need a zivug, a union, a spiritual intimacy that is on the highest level. Just like physical people are born through physical intimacy of, of, a, of a father and a mother, so too souls are born of a spiritual intimacy between male and female energies of Hashem. Souls are also born. People are born in this world, bodies, but souls are, are conceived and born in the spiritual realms through the union zivugim and yechudim of various divine energies. We know that Hashem has male and, and female aspects and when they unite, that gives birth, that conceives a soul. The soul then at some stage later becomes conceived in this world by male and female in this world. But up, up in the spiritual realms, it's conceived through male and female as well. Generally speaking, the male and female of Hashem, Hashem called HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the, the Holy One is the male energy and the, f- the feminine is the collective Jewish soul. Knesses role or the, the Jewish soul in a collective sense, are, is the female, the feminine energy. And when Hashem, or, or the Shekhinah is sometimes uh, another word for it, the feminine energy of Hashem, when Kut and when Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and His Shekhinah unite, that causes a, a zivog, that's an that's a intimate moment, that conceives of a soul. Every soul is conceived from there, but to be conceived... To conceive the soul of Mashiach, the highest and holiest soul, the union, the intimacy has to be on the highest possible level. So, therefore, to imagine the highest level of love, we can compare it to love down here in this world between men and women. If we look at love between friends, or love between a husband and wife. When they're together in the same room, you don't see the love so much. The love is not so intense, not so obvious, when they're together going about their normal life. However, when a couple needs to separate, when one needs to go far away for a long time, Then the souls are awakened with a deep and profound, intense love. A strong, powerful, overwhelming love from the fact that they're going to miss each other. When you realize that you have to be apart, that's when the love gets aroused and gets awakened. As long as you're going through life together and you're next to each other, so then the love is there, but it's not necessarily as revealed. As when you have to part, you have to say goodbye, <laughs> that one of the partners is going away for a while to a to a to, to a faraway place. So then the love is awakened and aroused, you feel it much more. So while the rest of the time you talk to each other a little bit, sometimes nicely, sometimes not so nicely, you take each other for granted, you you don't savor every moment. But when when you have to say goodbye, when the other is going away for a long time, and you're going to have to say goodbye to each other. So then, those moments before parting, that's probably not the time when you're going to ignore each other, or be mean to each other, or be indifferent to each other. The love is going to be revealed on a very passionate and and deep way at that moment, because of the missing, of the distance that is about to be created. So that's when the love is the most revealed, the most powerful. The al that's why it says in the Gemara Yavamas, that a man has an obligation to be intimate with his wife before going on a trip. It's a, it's a halacha. That before going on a trip, a man is obligated to, to be intimate with his wife because of that moment is the, as a moment of deep love, of deep connection, to prepare for the separation that's about to occur. So if that's true in the Gash sense, so spiritually too. is ken tizbonu lefizeh. So then, think," says R' According to this concept, the period, at the time of separation, that's when the most intimate, deep love is revealed. Or zivug that is the highest level of connection when the love is revealed on that on that plane. and that's when the greatest neshama is going to be born as well. To draw down the highest neshama it comes down through the most intense love. When husband and wife are more united, aligned, and, and feeling a deep love for each other, they will draw down a higher neshama at that moment. So therefore, because of the great sins that, that we committed back then, the separation between the lovers, of, meaning Hashem and the Jewish people, was happening on tishabav That was the time of farewell. Hashem is destroying the temple and sending us into Golis. There's a separation between us and Hashem, the great lovers. That's called the day when our husband is going on a trip. So it's at that time, it was from that union, the intimacy at that moment, on Tisha B'av, when Hashem is saying goodbye to us, he's going on a trip, so he has to keep the halacha. The halacha is that, that the husband has to be intimate with the wife before going away. At that moment, Mashiach's soul was born. At the time when Hashem felt the awesome love for the Jewish people, saying goodbye to them in destroying the temple, at that moment, the soul of Mashiach was born. Hanashama Yosal Yonavakalatus, the highest and most encompassing soul, could be born only through a union that was on such a deep level of love. When Hashem is saying goodbye to us. Bahavit, understand that. That's from Pinchas Karitza. So this is why Mashiach is born on Tisha B'Av. the soul of Mashiach was born on the first Tisha B'Av, the destruction. As the destruction was happening, the soul of Mashiach was conceived. Because the love that Hashem had for the Jewish people at that moment was at its most intense. Because he sang goodbye to us. And that's when the highest soul can be conceived. So then the ne- then top of the next column, Valpiza Tisbein, and said so now, says the Bnei Yishoscha, we can connect this with Masha Shemaiti, Shehikshu Talmida Harava HaKadosh Mareinu Rav Dov the Rabbim. We can connect this with what I heard, that the Talmidim of the Holy Rav Dov Ber, the Maggid the of rich. the Talmidim once asked him, Alhaddam Razzal, the question that it says in the Gemara ish. it says that the Romans, when they were destroying the Besame Kdosh, found the Kruvim embracing each other. But doesn't the Gemara say, Doesn't it say that only when Hashem was happy with the Jewish people, the Jewish people doing the right thing, then the Kruvim would embrace? And when it's the opposite, when the Jewish people are not doing the right thing, Hashem is not happy with us, the kruvim indicate that by turning away from each other, back to back. So the Talmudim asked our question that we've been asking to the Maggid, how how do we reconcile the two Gemaras? So the Maggid answered, the Holy Maggid answered with one line, the Gemara says that a man has to be intimate with his wife before... Going on a trip. How is that different to what the Kotzka explains? Well the, what the p- Karitzer. Yeah, the the K Repinichs Karitzer was not talking about uh, but he brought in the Gemara. No no he didn't. He he just brought in the the Tish the, the M born on Tishabov, that's all. He brought the Gemara a Adam Lifkad is is Ishtar. But he wasn't but now we're applying that to the hug of the Kruvim. The, the, the Maggid said that the Kruvim hugging each other, that was the physical emanation, manifestation of the intimacy that was going on in heaven between Hashem and the Jewish collective soul, that Hashem loves us so much, He's saying goodbye to us at this moment, and embracing us in a, in a moment of intimacy, which conceives the soul of Mashiach. The Magid wasn't talking about the soul of Mashiach, he was, talk, he was talking about the, the intimacy Hashem was hugging us in, in, in saying goodbye. Here, because one in one way Hashem is destroying, you know, the Beit Hamikdash, his own house. Mm-hmm. He is, you know, making, sending the Jewish people to Golus, and in the other hand, he is hugging us. Right. How does it, right. How does it work? Correct. So, so, so let's chart the progress so far in this, in in, in our understanding of this. From the Marashah, we understood that there was just destruction going on, that Hashem was destroying the Beit Hamikdash because he's unhappy with the Jewish people you're going to tell me that the Kruvim are hugging each other? Don't be fooled. That was just to show Hashem's displeasure with the Jewish people even more that the Romans should see it and disgrace it and we should be totally belittled. That was a miracle that was all a part of the destruction. Because what's happening? Destruction of Vesemikdash. What the Masha is talking about is our peep shot. That's what Destruction is, the Churban Beis HaMikdash is a time of divine displeasure at the Jewish people's failure to live up to what they're supposed to be doing. So the, the temple's being destroyed, we're be being sent into exile. I'll people shut, that makes perfect sense, that's how it is. The Sachar Chava added to this and said, well, yeah, but what's the reason for the destruction of Beis HaMikdash? It's to cleanse us from our sins. Hashem's not just angry and taking it out on us. It's that we've, we've sinned, the sin needs cleansing, and so he's destroying the Beis HaMikdash. The Gemara even says that the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash was a favor. Hashem didn't take out his anger on us, he took it out on Beis stones and, and, yeah. and wood. Because we need a cleansing, so the cleansing happened through the destruction. But that, says the Chava reinstated our relationship with Hashem. That's really what it's for. All punishments are there to take away what is blocking us, between us and Hashem, so we can be in a relationship again, we can be close again. So therefore, the hugging of the Kruvim, says the Sokha was, represented the reconciliation that happened as a result of the destruction. It's punishing us out of love. But. Correct. So the love can be reinstated. To clean away the negative. The Maggid of mizrich here, together with the Pinchas Karatzer, is introducing a, a new level to this and saying that Hashem saying goodbye to us was very hard for him as well. That at that moment Hashem didn't want to say goodbye, but he had to. And at that moment his love for us was even deeper. Yes, there has to be gollus, and yes, there has to be this punishment and destruction, and khurban. It has to be, but for Hashem to say goodbye to us is extremely hard. He had to go on his journey, he had, to, he had to go away. But at that moment, he's expressing his love for us. And that love is so intense, so deep, that it's expressed through the embrace of the kruvim, And that conceived the soul of Mashiach. So, the Churban is a Churban, the Golis is a gallus. It is Hashem going away from us. But that itself is painful. He still loves us. And the going away is not forever. So he embraces us at that moment to say goodbye. And that embrace is the deepest love that could be so deep that it can actually bring the soul of Mashiach into, into conception. Except the Marisha said that the embrace was a bad thing. Correct. So, the Sacha and the Maggid, are different to the Marsha. Not just different, opposites. But to, to reconcile them, we have to look at what the Rebbe said. And this will add an, a new element of depth to the entire topic, one that actually encompasses all of the interpretations that we've seen until now. This was from a maimer. The Rebbe said on Purim, Tafshin Mem dalad 1984, It's just one little section of the Maimer. It's the midst of talking about many other things, but for our discussion, this is what's relevant. We can understand the saying of our sages, which is, When the Romans entered into the sanctuary, they saw the Kruvim embracing each other. The question is, The Kruvim embracing each other is an indication of the great deep love that Hashem has for the Jewish people, like a husband and wife embracing. As the Romans are entering into the Heichel, into the sanctuary, was that not the exact opposite of love? Destruction? So how could the Kruvim be embracing? The idea is, that at that moment, what was being revealed was an extremely high light, extremely deep light was being revealed. <laughs> A light that was higher than higher than the whole system of creation, was being revealed at that moment. But the problem is that that light was staying in its place. Higher than and didn't shine down here in Um, Sorry? What was that? That (coughs) what was happening at that moment, which moment? The moment of destruction, when the Romans were coming in to burn the base of and destroy it. At that moment, what was being revealed is an extremely high light. A, high, a light that is higher than Hishalshlus, but the light was not shining in Hishalshlus. It was shining where it is above Hishalshlus. It was being revealed. It was happening then, but it wasn't being revealed. filter? Kind of well, that's how it always is. What's different to usually? Well, There's a light what's higher than Hishalshlus, it? but it's higher than Hishalshlus. Okay, what? so so that's not being revealed. That's not that's not that, that doesn't help us. Mm-hmm. That's nothing to do with here. What's the Rebbe saying? There's a light that's higher than Shalshalos, higher than the whole system of creation, beyond all of existence. That's, that light is being revealed now. Just not being revealed. It's up above Shalshalos. So what are we, we're experiencing destruction. But yeah, but don't worry, there's a light higher than Shalshalos being revealed. Just, it's not being revealed. So, <laughs> what, what does that mean? So, so we can understand this like this. Continues the we can, we can add to this uh, a bit of flavor by quoting the Maymer Razal, which we've seen from Ksubus. That a man is obligated to be intimate with his wife before going out on a trip. Because during Golas The Jewish people are like a wife whose husband has gone on a trip overseas. Hashem has gone away from us. We're like that. Not really. Hashem doesn't go anywhere. But He's not revealed. The Besamekdash is not here. It's like a husband has gone away. So Therefore, before the husband Hashem goes away on his trip, there was a moment of intimacy. And therefore the Kruvim, at that moment of destruction, were in an embrace. A physical emanation of the spiritual union, the intimacy that Hashem was having with us before leaving. But what does that mean? This will give us a deep understanding of why we find in Tanakh that the exile is compared to pregnancy and the ge'ulah, the redemption, to birth. Why? Just like down here in the physical world, when husband and wife have a moment of intimacy, a child is conceived. But first, conception, all that means is that this child is within the womb of the mother, Behel and the gamry, completely hidden and concealed, and even after the moment of conception, for the months of pregnancy, the fetus is, has a head between its legs, it's not a, a figure that, that it can function, it's not, it's not a fully-fledged being that can, that can live and survive yet, it's not, it's not doing what it needs to do. So, It's in a total state of concealment and a total state of underdevelopment. So what happens at conception? Everything and nothing. At conception, you have the beginning of a life, but it's not yet a life. You have the beginning of a being, but it's not, not there. You have something came down and nothing's revealed. So you have everything or nothing. It's, it's all there, but it's not yet developed, it's not yet ready, it's, and it's not yet revealed. It hasn't come out into the world yet. So when somebody conceives, you don't say Mozeltov. There's no party for that. Uh, when somebody is pregnant, you don't yet have a name for that child. Or they're not yet a part of the family. Nothing has happened yet. And yet everything has happened because the soul has come down. But it's not revealed. (coughs) It's It's not out in the world yet. But, during the course of the pregnancy, that Fetus grows, develops till the time of birth arrives. And then, and only then, does the fetus that was developing enter into the world as a child, a fully fledged being, a living being. So, so this. Process, the process of conception, of pregnancy and birth, is used as a marshal for Golas and Ge'ula. That the conception happened the moment before Golas started. The farewell intimacy between Hashem and the Jewish people, that is where the conception of Mashiach happened. Mashiach's soul was born on Tishabov. The conception happened at that moment. <laughs> so what happened then is the light of Mashiach, the conception of the child, happened down here in this world. Mashiach is here. On Tishabov. But not here. It's here, the Hamshach is there. But it's not revealed. That happens straight away on Tishabeth. The Hamshach is behelim, is, is concealed. Here, in this world, but concealed. Just like the conception of a child. The, the child is here and totally not here. Totally concealed. So, therefore, what state are we in from that moment of conception? What state are we in? We're in the state of Golos. That Mashiach is not here. That her husband has gone away. But, but the seed is planted. man and so there. Therefore, for the continuation of Golos, throughout the time of Golos, who that conception develops. The soul of Mashiach is developing. Every single day, growing and developing. Until very soon, we'll see the birth and the revelation with the future redemption. What has the Rebbe added to our understanding? We already knew from the Maggit of that there was a moment of intimacy before the destruction. Uh, a hug Hashem gave us to say goodbye. We knew that. We also knew that from that intimacy was conceived the soul of Mashiach. But what the Rebbe added to that understanding is so therefore, the whole Churban and the Golis that came after that, what was that? Was that an expression of love or an expression of anger? That's the pregnancy. The pregnancy is where the light that was created is not revealed. And will only be revealed at the end. The light is totally there. The love is totally, totally there. The intimacy is, is continued, but it's concealed. And it's developing. Through Golis it's developing. Every single day, growing, to the point where eventually it will be revealed at the birth. Therefore, we can, we can include what the Marsha said in our understanding now. That the Marsha said that the hug of the Kruvim was to increase the insult of the Jewish people. That the Romans should see it, belittle it, to make fun of us. That, that fits in with what the Rebbe is saying. That at that moment, it was total concealment. There was no revelation. On a revealed level, the Romans were Right? The Jewish people are at a lowly state. They've sinned. And their house, their house is being destroyed. Hashem is leaving them. So the disgrace of the Jewish people was true on, on, a, on a revealed level from, from, from the perspective of a Roman who doesn't understand what this hug really is. Who can't possibly understand the, the intimacy, the love that's being expressed now. There's no way they can understand, understand that. In fact, we also couldn't understand that because on a revealed level, nothing has happened. It's gollus. It's destruction. But, but that embrace of the Kruvim was to tell us you should know what's really happening now. And that is that Hashem, in His awesome love for us, wants to, us to get to Mashiach. But The only way to get to Mashiach is to conceive that soul in a concealed way. It has to be hidden, which means we have to go through a golis, a pregnancy, a process where we're developing that hidden light of Mashiach. It's growing and developing. You don't see it. Correct, you don't see it. It's, it's, it's here, but it's hidden. It can only be seen when, when the birth comes. But when the birth comes, suddenly there's a fully-fledged light, there's a complete new world that comes in one instant. Birth is not the beginning of the process of devo- development of the child. The, de- the, the development happened at conception. Birth is when it's ready. And suddenly, in one instant, the child is here. Yeah, I think that's like what the magi added. I mean, what the market added to what the market. Was, was, specifically about Golos, because like, what the Magid said that, you know, there's intimacy before they go away, and then the going away is just going away. It's just going away. And it's is like, that's it. Correct. But like, what the Rebbe added to the going away is it's not going away, it's developing a very significant thing that it, mm-hmm. like, it has to be there. Correct. Correct. That the, the Golos is the development of, of Mashiach. Yep. So, so then that doesn't take that away they're what, they're what the Marsha said. On a real level, it's gollus; it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's disconnect. But that disconnect is actually a process of developing the soul of Mashiach, which is through the efforts in Golas, through, through our Avoda in golas we, we have that, that spark of Mashiach that is developing inside of us through our Avoida Hashem. And then the day will come when the, when the birth arrives. So before Tisha um, Tishab the soul of Mashiach wasn't to, had it been conceived, like Yeah it says that there were that, that, that creation is divided into two thousand years of chaos, then two thousand years of Torah, and then two thousand years of Mashiach. Which means that yeah. Until until then, Mashiach was not really a viable option. The world was not ready for that. That a soul is conceived or a soul is born. Don't we say that souls are um, like timeless creations? Like every soul was a person. I like person. was long as like pure potential. Conception is a differentiation. Like like just just like in the physical sense, conception is a differentiation from the parents. There was a, the potential there, but now it's actually taking on a, a separate identity. So. The souls also have to be conceived, have to be differentiated, have to be given an identity. It still started from Lot, actually, to plan this conceiving of the Torah. Mashiach started from Lot and tomorrow. Yeah, and from the Ruach Merechavis Apne Amaim, all the way from the beginning of creation. But the soul of Mashiach started coming down at B'Av. Thank you very much. Thank you.